Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only programs and welcome to another episode of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and my name is derek diamond and as you noticed we uh we're no longer with audible so it's kind of weird starting the show now without having to do an audible read at the beginning of it i don't know if i if i'll be able to get used to that the now unaffiliated yeah nerd cave retro <laughs> we're we're independent baby which means the Patreon yes, is coming soon so that you'll be able to help us support the show um, yep. for very little money, um, but you'll get lots of content. So, but uh, but Derek, tell me what's been going on with you this week. Well, it's been a very busy week with work. Uh, we had, I think, six home games in a row, and if, since you live in the South as I do, you know it's been raining quite a bit. Yeah. And now when that happens on game days, we as in the front office staff have to if you ever watched a baseball game on TV, they put a giant tarp on the field so Mm -hmm. that the the dirt doesn't get wet. Well, we have to do that when it rains. We we put the tarp on and off the field nine times in six days. (laughs) That sucks. It's been the weather has been awful. Yeah, it, it has been raining and raining and raining. And you know, some the more. worst part about the rain, I don't know if you've had this problem. I mean, we have a fairly new house. I mean, our house was built in 2005. So our house isn't that old. I mean, it's only 13 years old now. The rain drives all the bugs into the house, no matter how much you spray or what you do. You're going to get bugs in your house during the summer in the South when it rains. I have had so many bugs in the house. And I'm going to tell the other night there was something in the bed with me (laughs) that crawled on my arm. Oh, Jesus. That I don't know what it was, but I haven't slept in the bed in four days. (laughs) I can't say I blame you on that one. Yeah. But other than that, you know, that was really the big part of it. And then. I had to work an event on Fourth of July, but it was it wasn't until you know the evening time, so I still got to enjoy the actual Fourth of July. I went over to a to a friend's house, hung out in the pool, grilled some burgers, you know, typical Fourth of July stuff, and had the day off today. So That's just good. been kind of doing nothing. 
Yeah, I didn't do much for the 4th. I uh, went and had a little lunch at the Olive Garden with the mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we did that, and uh, we pretty much stayed around the house last night. We, I, I recorded a pop culture palette last night, which ended up being one of my best bits that I've ever done, which I posted to my Facebook page. I did a Dear Martha letter about... I, I found this article about a theme park in like North Carolina that has dinosaurs helping the South win the civil war. It's the most amazing thing I've ever read in my life. So I had to do a dear Martha letter. <laughs> Dearest, Dearest Martha. Martha. <laughs> it was awesome. I even had like the Ken Burns music in the background and everything. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, let's see. Oh, speaking of baseball, I live right off of the bay in D'Iberville, which is just north of Biloxi, and separating uh, D'Iberville and Biloxi is the North Bay. Right below that is, the, of course, the Biloxi Shuckers Stadium. So I'm maybe a mile away from the stadium, like as the crow flies, like straight across the bay from it. Every time they, I know when they win, Every time they win, because it sounds like World War III going off down in Biloxi. And Monday night, I think, was it Sunday night? Or no, it was Sunday night. I did, we didn't have a show to record, so I had some voiceover stuff I needed to get done. I'm, I'm, uh, I, got, uh, I got hired to do an audiobook, some voices for an audiobook. I got um, auditioned, and I got three separate parts, which is awesome. So I had to re-record a couple of lines that night. Couldn't do it till like late into the night because the freaking fireworks wouldn't quit going off. I'm like, it's not even the freaking fourth yet, and I can't record anything because it sounds like, you know, it sounded like like Beirut or Iraq outside <laughs> my window. So that sucked. Wish you guys would quit doing your damn fireworks every time you <laughs> freaking win a game. I mean, really. <laughs> So they they shoot off fireworks every time they win a game. Yeah, pretty much. At, at least uh, that's, that's what obnoxious. it feels like. It is obnoxious. It's it's very obnoxious, especially when you live like less than a mile away. It's like boom, 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 and I'm sitting here like, really, I'm trying to record some lines here. Oh Jesus! So yeah, that yeah I I know there's certain days where teams shoot off fireworks, but if they do it after like. Every time they win, because I mean, Biloxi's won a lot of games. Yeah, they're a, a deadlock for the playoffs or something like that. I don't know. I don't play the the, the, the baseball or follow the <laughs> baseball or anything, so I just don't care. <laughs> so the stick ball, know, yeah, stick ball, whatever, like uh, dodgeball, whatever they're playing down there. I don't care. Yeah, let's see. Hmm, that's weird. But yeah, that that would sound like something that Biloxi would do. Yeah, but... I, I've I've got some interesting stories about Biloxi, but I, those I will discuss mm. at another time. All right. <laughs> On that note, let's go ahead and move into the news for this week. We got a lot of news stories this week, so we're gonna burn through these as fast as we can. From NintendoLife.com, new trademark suggests Nintendo has GameCube on the brain. Of course, this is another one of those things where I think they're just kind of reaching for a news story here. I think they're just 
renewing their trademarks or whatever because it says they registered three new trademarks in Japan, which are all tied to the GameCube brand. Uh, and they're speculating that it could be a GameCube Mini. We ha- we didn't, haven't even heard anything about an N64 Mini. So I think this is just a lot of hot air myself. It's t- it's way too early for a GameCube Mini. I think a big part of it is that they're using the GameCube controllers for Smash Brothers Ultimate when it comes out. So I think that's a big reason why they're basically re-refreshing the trademark. Yeah, that's a really um, I, good I, point. It's funny because when I was adding some new stuff to our Google Doc as far as games I'm going to review, the GameCube came up in my mind, but I'm like, I think the GameCube is still a little too new to be considered yeah. you know, a retro console. Like, I think the GameCube is the cutoff point. Yeah, I think it's still considered next-gen. Like Anything after 2000, I consider to be next-gen. You know, Once they started yep. to actually get better, at the the polygonal graphics, 3D graphics, and all that stuff. You kind of had that weird transition with the N64. That was the the N64 and the PlayStation 1 were the transition. But once like the GameCube and the Xbox and PlayStation 2 all came out at the same time, that's like that's next generation. That is not retro gaming, in my opinion. Come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. That being said, I, I kind of look at it retro. I would consider twenty years or older. Yeah. So I look forward to reviewing a plethora of GameCube games in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I'd love to do some Xbox games in twenty twenty one. I think the first one I'm going to review is Halo in January of twenty twenty one. Oh, that that will have to be a joint review because man, I I played the shit out of some Halo back oh, in the yeah. day. We got to get it Wally on that episode because uh, we used to do the LAN parties. Kids, ah. Now listen, kids, LAN parties were back in the day when you'd bring your Xbox over to someone's house and you would link four Xboxes and a ton of TVs, four Xboxes and four TVs around the house, and you'd order pizza, and you'd get beer and soda and snacks, and you would just play Halo, make fun of each other, and have a great time. I can't tell you how many boxes of Pizza Hut were consumed. Yeah. Um, Doritos, <laughs> both Nacho and Cool Ranch, Mountain yes. Dew, Code Red, mm-hmm. and so many hours yes. based off Halo. Uh, but anyway, before I ramble more about Halo, <laughs> uh, from Mashable.com, Nintendo's president dropped some hints about the next 3DS. When Nintendo launched the Switch and sales were much better than anyone expected, it looked as though the 3DS was on life support. Surely sales would drop off quickly for the seven-year-old handheld now that a portable console was available, right? Well, they didn't, and Nintendo is considering a new handheld to replace it. Confirmation of that comes from Shintaro Furukawa, Nintendo's new president. He's been an employee of Nintendo since 1994, starting out as an accountant before moving into global marketing, then working as director for the Pokemon Company. Well, so he moved up the company In a pretty legit way, that's actually a pretty cool story. Uh, He says the 3DS has certain advantages over the Switch, such as ease of purchase and the like. Uh, They're considering various possibilities for a successor. It is cheaper than the Switch, which I'm sure parents would like. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings on this. I do really like the 3DS. I I still play mine on occasion. Yeah. But... I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it because on one hand, 
I think the Switch is still fairly affordable, and I think yeah. it's worth the $300 <laughs> because of the portability. But I still do see the the market for like a 3DS. Yeah, especially, I don't know. I don't think the, the Switch, I have a Switch with a case, and you know I brought it on the airplane with me. It didn't take up a lot of room. The, the battery life is a little bit, leaves a little something to be desired, but I don't know. I, I can't really see a case for making another 3DS unless it's just for, to capture that younger market for kids that parents don't want to shell out an entire, you know, th- uh, 400 bucks for a Switch. Go ahead and just get mm-hmm. them a, you know, $150 3DS. So I, yeah. that's the only thing I can see right now. Yeah, I still think it has its market, but you know, if it were me, I I would just get the Switch. Yeah, same here. I mean, it, it's completely worth the money, every penny of it. I love my Switch. You can take it wherever you want to go. Graphics are great. Sound is great. I mean, it's 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 the greatest console of this genre. Uh, I will put this down and say it's the greatest console of the last 15 years at least. As much as I loved my Xbox 360, I think I love my Switch even more. I wouldn't disagree with that. Come at me, bro. <laughs> uh, the, another cool story that uh, you actually linked this to me the other day. Uh, Jim Carrey is in final talks to star in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie as Dr. Robotnik. So I, I said this, I found this on Facebook. Someone had shared it, you know, to my page or whatever. And I said, so far, this is the only thing that I like about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's going to be a mix of live action and CG, which is extremely difficult to pull off and make one believable and two any good. But I, I on, think they just need to do it strictly animated style like Pixar style. Yep. Yep. And if you want to have Jim Carrey do the voice, I think he would be great. I actually think he will do very well Yeah. in this role because the modern Robotnik, or as he's known today, Dr. Eggman, is more of a over-the-top comedic character. Like, back in the day, he was an evil, <laughs> evil scientist. Yeah. Like... The old cartoon I used to watch, he used to scare me because he had this deep robotic sounding voice. He was huge. He had black eyes with little red dots. You know, he was like a legit scary villain, but now he's more comedic. So I, I think I think he's gonna do really well. And it, it'll be nice to actually see Jim Carrey in a comedy again because I was just about you know, we to all... say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just about to say that same thing. It's been too long since we've seen uh, Jim Carrey be Jim Carrey, you know, in a comedy. We need him. We need him to make a uh, a return to the to you know the bombastic, spastic Jim Carrey that we all know he is. When you think of all those great comedies he was yeah. in back in the '90s, like Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, The Mask, yeah, it's, seeing uh, that Jim Carrey again would be great. Like ever since he did Man uh, Man on the Moon, is like he just kind of lost his mind for a decade or two, you know? It's like, we need Jim yeah. Carrey back. We need we need Ace Ventura to, to come back is what we need. I still don't have extremely high hopes for this movie, 
And I'm not going to, you know, lie to anybody and say that I'm not going to watch it because obviously I am because I like the Sonic franchise, but I don't have very high hopes for it. But I am excited for this casting. I think it's a very good choice. Yeah. I I put this news story next news story up especially for you, Derek, because I didn't know if you would remember this or not. Oh, of course. Ah. Oh. oh, do okay, I need to well, read this I mean, one? I, yeah, I left this one for you. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Uh, let's see. With This comes to us from Kotaku.com. With the Sega Genesis edging out Super Nintendo sales in the heated 16-bit console wars of the mid-90s, Nintendo decided it was time to unveil their groundbreaking secret project. Of course, I'm speaking about rare pseudo-3D Donkey Kong Country. But the same year that brought the barrel-tossing ape back into the spotlight also featured a new Super Mario-themed macaroni and cheese from the masterminds at Kraft. Yes, there was Super Mario macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. and I ate the hell out of this as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember. I remember getting this a couple of times. Like this was this was right in the heart of the Super Nintendo, you know, Super Mario Brothers or Super Mario World. Like just kind of Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo is a big company today, but like back in the the early 90s like nintendo was just the it thing man it it had taken over the world oh man and it says here you know even though super mario world had launched alongside the snes three years prior in 91 there hadn't been any cheesy mario characters and items to gorge on for some time (laughs) and when you have a snazzy new mac and cheese theme in the works it's only natural that you would want to promote it Uh, i'm gonna have to watch this commercial later yeah yeah i I remember watching it as a kid, but I couldn't tell you what it's about other than I remember there being one. Yeah, if you want to see the uh, the actual commercial for it, just go to Kotaku and just put in the search bar, I guess, Super Mario Mac and Cheese, and it'll take you right to the article. Uh, and I love this print ad. You know what? I'm going to save this ad and put it up on this, uh, the Twitter page. Save image as... Mario Mac and Cheese. <laughs> Let's see, Mario Mac and Cheese. I miss the days of being um, advertised to in this way. Like, I'm a 40... I've been actually been thinking about this a lot lately. You know, when you're a kid, you have toy commercials and, you know, stuff like this. Like, Super Mario Brothers cereal. You know, the Super Mario Brothers and, and the Adventures of Link cereal. Batman cereal, like all that cool stuff that's just you're inundated with as a kid. Then you, you know, you go, you get older in your 20s and into your early 30s, and all advertising is aimed at you. But then when you hit your 40s, I'm 40 years old. There's nothing advertised to me anymore. I, I, I'm like a non entity <laughs> to like advertisers. I don't get advertised to anymore, and it's weird. Yeah, I've never really thought of it in that way. Yeah, you'll notice it. You'll you'll hit 40 in a few years, and you'll be like, wow. So this is what it's like to not be advertised to. Like, trust me, I still get advertisements. Like, do you ever... Talk, and you have an iPhone, right? And Yes. Do you ever talk about something with someone, and then like 10 minutes later... You go to log on to like Facebook or something, and there'll be an ad for what you were talking about. Oh yeah, so I'm not the only person that's ever had this happen to them. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how we get advertised to nowadays. They're listening. Whatever we talk about, they're gonna advertise to us. <sighs> Sounds like a great movie plot. It does. I'm gonna shuffle that back in the brain <laughs> for for future use. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gonna. I'm. I just saved this photo. I'm gonna have to send this to my mom. She'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. Because I used to pester the mess out of her to get me, get me the Mario macaroni and cheese. Yeah. I wish. I wish I could come across a box of it somewhere. I would actually buy a box of it just to to display it, because you know that yeah. those, that stuff doesn't go bad in there. No the stuff will outlast roaches. Um. Yeah. This next story from IGN. Nintendo reassures investors that its 2018 lineup hasn't been fully revealed. Uh, at the general meeting of shareholders, former president Tatsumi Kimishima revealed that Nintendo had unannounced products in the pipeline that the company plans to release before the end of this year's holiday season. Uh, let's see. Kirishima offered reassurance to shareholders who had grown wary after Nintendo's somewhat lackluster E3 announcements caused the company's stock to sink. Uh, Kimishima, who retired last month, has been replaced by Shintaro Furukawa, also said that Nintendo would have no trouble meeting its goal of shipping 20 million units of the Switch. Although he said acquiring microprocessors and memory did pose some challenge, he was confident that the momentum and popularity of the Switch would propel the hybrid console throughout the year. So, um... What do you think? Do you think they're going to uh, come out with Metroid this year? Because uh, that's the only other huge, you know, that's I think that's the one thing people were waiting for at E3 was to see something on Metroid Prime uh, sequel. I think that's still in the pipeline for this year. I think it was a combination of that and there was nothing talked about, you know, about this supposed open world Pokemon game. Yeah. And... My opinion was Nintendo's E3 presentation a little lackluster, maybe, but a big a big part of it was about Smash Brothers. Yeah, well, like that, that that was their big thing. I'm surprised Nintendo even still does E3 because they have Nintendo Direct now. Like, why spend mm -hmm. all that money to go to E3? When well, they. They still go to E3, but their actual presentations are directs. Like, they release yeah. an E3 edition of Nintendo Direct, and then they have, basically on the show floor, like this year, they had Splatoon 2 and Smash Brothers as their big thing. So they they still have a presence, but as far as doing actual conferences, they haven't done one of those in, since probably the Wii days. Yeah. I don't it's know. been it a just, it's been a long time. It just feels to me like you know the E3 presentation was just more or less like it was lackluster. I'll be honest. I mean, I was expecting a little bit more, but I you know Nintendo does tend to play things very close to the chest all the time, and that's kind of their mo since you know the the, eight, the late eighties. They don't really let the public know what's happening or what's going on. They just kind of like hold everything back. And then they're just like, here's, you know, the next greatest thing you're going to play for the next year. You know, like yeah. that's just the way they do things. So I still, even though here it is July, I still think they're going to drop Metroid on us before the year is in. I think it's just they're going to hold on to it till the last second. 
Then they're going to be like, oh, guess what? Metroid's coming out next week. Or it's available I would, now. I would hope so. Because I, I think, and this was kind of the issue with them releasing Mario and Zelda in the same year, is that those are their two big heavy hitters of yeah. their entire company. So when you release Mario and Zelda in the same year, it's kind of like, you know, you can release a couple of things, but chances are you're probably going to drop a little bit in sales because because of that reason. But, I mean, Smash Brothers will do big. I actually think Mario Party will sell really well. I've been watching more gameplay of it, and I'm actually really excited for it. I would love if, say, October, they, you know, make some type of announcement, oh, Metroid Prime 4 is yeah. coming out, you know, Halloween week or oh, something and, like that, and everybody just loses their mind. And and then I'm still waiting on an announcement that I, I firmly believe that <clears throat> uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to come out on the Switch. It has to. I agree. I think it's I coming, and I think they're holding that close to the to the vest, too. <clears throat> but that's just me talking out of my butt, so take it with a grain of salt. I, I don't disagree with you, actually. But let's go ahead, and we got a lot of uh, this month in video game history to do, too. So let's move into that. So in July of 1983, Namco releases Pack and Pal exclusively in Japan. What in the hell is Pack and Pal? Arcade uh, let's game. see. Let's see. Uh, the object of the game is for Pac-Man to eat all the items before he is caught by the ghosts. Wow. That sounds like Pac-Man. <laughs> really? Let's see. I'm looking to see. No, it's it's an arcade game. Oh, here we go. Introduced in the game is an exclusive character, Mil, the pal of the title. She is a small green female ghost donate, uh, denoted by her hair bow that looks like a gooseberry with legs. When an item is unlocked, she will wander around, giving Pac-Man some time to try and reach the item. After some time, she will take it into the ghost house, where it will be lost forever. All right. Cool. Okay, then. <laughs> uh, July 8th of 1983, Infocom releases Planetfall, which becomes one of their top sellers. Hmm, I don't remember this game. I do not. I love the poster, though. It's like a spaceman with a oh, mop. That, yeah, that's... Oh, wait. I think I do remember them talking about this. Uh, yeah. this I remember them talking about this on um, the video game years, if this is what I'm thinking of. Hmm. Let's see. Starts with a user assuming the role of a lowly Ensign 7th class. On the SPS Feinstein, a, a starship of the Stellar Patrol. Hmm. Looks pretty cool. On July 15th of 1983, <clears throat> Sega releases the SG-1000 console in Japan on the same day as the Famicom. Uh, what was the SG-1000? That looks like the... Uh, that looks like, looks a like an Atari system. Yeah, like an original... Oh, uh, it does look a lot like a, like an Atari 5200 is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, very interesting. Sweet. I I've, I think we've talked about this console before. It looks very familiar. Yeah. But not just because it looks like an Atari, but the 
<clears throat> the actual picture I remember seeing before. And it, we might have talked about this on like a news article or something. Probably. From an earlier episode, but it, it does look very familiar. Yeah. Also on July 15th, 1983, Nintendo releases the family computer a.k.a. Famicom console in Japan. Shortly after its release, complaints began to surface about rampant system instability, prompting Nintendo to issue a product recall and to re-release the machine with a new motherboard. It would later be released worldwide as a little-known thing called the Nintendo Entertainment System. See, I don't remember the uh, <clears throat> ever reading about the product recall. That's actually news, news to me. Yeah. No, I, I do recognize the the family computer version of this. I, I've I was reading some type of article the other day. It was something Zelda related, and I want to say I saw it with this console, but I know I've seen it in photos before. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind. I mean, you can look at it. One. It looks very different than the NES that we oh, all know. Yeah. I I wouldn't mind actually getting one because I do sometimes come across. Famicom games like at the flea market and stuff like that, but I don't have anything to play them on. So I'd love to actually pick up a, a Famicom to, just to have. Yeah, I would too. I think it'd be a really cool little display thing. Uh, also to round out 1983 Sega system one releases with Starjacker. It's graphics chips are later used in the Sega system 16 and space. Uh, yeah, the Sega space Harrier boards. Um, let's see, the Sega System 1. Is this the Mark 1? Oh, this is just I am the, not sure. Hmm, this is just the actual board itself. Uh, 16-bit system board. Yeah, this is, I guess, for their, um, arcade cabinets. This wasn't an actual console. Yeah. I'm learning new stuff every day on this show. Right. Who knew we'd ever talk about arcade boards? I know. Moving on to July 19th, 1991, Square releases Final Fantasy IV in Japan, the first Final Fantasy game for the Super Famicom, released in November as Final <laughs> Fantasy II in North America. <laughs> so it's not two, it's four. Yeah. Or, or is it seven, two instead of four? Or 13, 42. Breaking um, news, Final Fantasy 56 just released. <laughs> but it's known as 31 in America. Don't 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 yeah, get a Mexican. You know, you're you're right. You're right. My <laughs> to, my apologies. To end the video game history in July of 1991, Atari updates their Lynx handheld system with a smaller form factor, better screen, and longer battery life. Did you know anybody that had a Lynx back in the day? I did not. I, did um, not I actually, either. I, I never really heard of the links. I remember back in this. back in its day. I, I know. I recently, you know, within the last year or so since we've been doing this show, it's been brought to my attention. But I wanted one. never heard of it back in the day. Yeah, I really wanted one of these back in the day because it was one of the very first sixteen-bit handheld like um, handheld consoles. But it took like twelve batteries to you know twelve like double A batteries to keep it running for like fifteen minutes, and it was yeah. huge, man. Like I used to go to Toys R Us and play the display. This thing was it was bigger, almost 
maybe a little bit bigger than the switch is now, but it was thick too. Like it was mm-hmm. whole, it was like holding a brick, but it was awesome. And I remember I used to go to Toys R Us and uh, the demo game they had on it was TNC Surf Designs. And it was mm-hmm. 16-bit. It, the The screen was kind of small, but it still looked really good. Like, I would love to have one of these just, you know, just for posterity. I know there wasn't a lot of games released for it. Let me see if I can find how many games were released for it here. Um, I do not see a list. Nope, I don't see a list here of games for it. I don't think very many games were released for this thing because... I just don't think it it sold very well. Uh, yeah, like I see. said, I had never I never heard of it back and, in its heyday. In late ninety one, I mean, I knew reported, of the Game Boy and the Game Gear. Yeah, in late ninety one, it was reported that Atari sales estimates were about eight hundred thousand, which Atari claimed was within their expected projections. Lifetime sales by nineteen ninety five amounted to fewer than seven million units when combined with the Game Gear. Let's see, the Game Boy itself sold 16 million units by 1995 because it was more rugged, cost half as much, had much longer battery life, and was bundled with Tetris and had a superior software library. Uh, Yeah, this thing was listed, and this was introduced in 1989. It was released in September 1st, 89, um, the very first version of it. And it was mm-hmm. listed at $179.99. That was more than uh, the Nintendo at the time. The Nintendo itself ran $100, you know, $99.99. So you're asking people to spend almost twice that for a, a handheld console that only had like 10 games and lasted 10 minutes. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder why it failed, Atari. <laughs> hmm. So weird. Hmm. Yeah. But I guess we're going to go ahead and move on, unless you got anything you want to throw in there about the links from Atari. No, I'm I'm good on the links. (laughs) All right. Well, we don't have any more uh, mid-rolls to do, Derek, so I guess what we do now is tonight we're talking about... thing it is maniac mansion for the nintendo entertainment system it was a 1987 graphic adventure video game developed and published by lucasfilm it was then ported over uh let's see it was initially released for the commodore 64 and apple II. it was lucasfilm games first self-published product uh it was critically acclaimed reviewers lauded its graphics cutscenes, animation and humor which i loved um, and it was ported over to the Nintendo Entertainment System, I believe, in 1990. Um, let's see. Uh, it doesn't exactly say here when it was ported to the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, but I'm almost 99.9% positive it was in 1990. Uh, it was also adapted, it says here, it adapted into a three-season television series of the same name written by Eugene Levy and starring Joe Flaherty. 
I've never heard that before. I'm going to have... Did this thing get made? I haven't... I mean, I didn't know about it either, but the fact that it went three seasons... Huh. It was, that's it, pretty it was impressive. A Canadian-American sitcom created by Eugene Levy, which aired concurrently on YTV in Canada and the Family Channel. I remember that. In the United States for three seasons from sep- from September 14th, 1990 to April 4th, 93. Holy crap. I did not know this existed. We should find this, and I think this would make a great Patreon episode. Dude, that has to happen. <laughs> that has to I'm happen. Down. Oh, my God. Please put this in the notes so we don't forget. <laughs> I'm writing wow. it down now. So, yeah, this was um, it was a game conceived in 1985 by Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick, who sought to tell a comedic story based on horror film and B-movie cliches. They mapped out the project as a paper and pencil game before coding commenced. While early adventure titles had relied on command lines, Gilbert disliked such systems and he developed Maniac Mansion's simpler point-and-click interface as a replacement. To speed up production, he created a game engine called Scum, S-C-U-M-M, which we have talked about many times on this on this show, which was used in many later LucasArts titles, such, uh, like um, uh, Monkey Island and all those kind of games like that. So Maniac Mansion was really the first game to, to utilize the Scum engine, which it works really well. And here's the thing. I did play this. Uh, over the last week or so, on the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is great. Don't get me wrong; it's it's a little unwieldy, uh, much like a lot of the other point-and-click games. Like you know, I've done Shadowgate on this show before, which I love. Shadowgate. Once you get used to the controls of having to point and click on everything that you want to do, like you can't just do something. Like you want to open the door, you actually have to go down to the command line that says you know unlock or push or pull or open. And then go back up and click on whatever item you're trying to either pick up or open a door or whatever. So it's at first it's a little bit, you know, try, it's not very intuitive. But once you get used to it, it's okay. Which honestly is what I kind of needed the last week or so after having played Battletoads. I needed a game that was much slower paced <laughs> with a good story to it. And then, uh, just out of sheer curiosity, which um, you should be able to go, when you hear this episode, if you're listening to us right now on Twitch, you can go to Steam, and you can pick this up right now on the summer sale for on Steam for $2.03. Wow. Yeah, but keep in mind, it is a lot... It's It differs from the Nintendo version. The, what I like about the Nintendo version is... You, you tend to take your time a little more because of the controller interface, but it also plays music. Like each person in the game has their own soundtrack, basically. Like when you switch in between characters, each character kind of has their own theme that plays. In the computer version, it doesn't do that, but the game plays a lot faster because you're using a you know a, a mouse. Right. So you kind of gotta. You know, there's a little bit of give and take right there. Like, I do recommend it if you, whichever version you want to play, both of them are good. It's basically the same story. The graphics are obviously a lot better on, you know, the computer version that you get on Steam. It's a lot better. 
but there's just something about the Nintendo version that just brings up so much nostalgia for me. Like this game instantly playing this again brought me back to that time as a kid. Uh, made me think of, you know, Friday night after going to, because I never owned this game. This was one of those games that I would just rent a lot. We And every Friday when I was a kid, we would go to the video store. Um, my mom was a teacher and I would get off of school and then me and her would go to, um, you know, get groceries and then we would stop at the video store on the way home every Friday and she would let me get a game. A game or, or a movie. 99% of the time it was a game. And this was one of those games that I rented a lot. So playing this game like instantly took me back to that time of my life where it was like so excited for Friday night and getting to play a new game or renting this again to play over the weekend. And this was one of those games that was so worth... I, I wish I would have bought this as a kid, but... I wouldn't have those memories of like going to the video store to to see if it was in so I could rent it for that weekend. You know, just like that that entire era of my life, like this game exemplifies that era because this would be one of those games that I would rent all the time. And it was definitely worth the rental price because this is the sort of game that there are so many different endings to the game, which is kind of uh, very advanced for the Nintendo Entertainment System because the way the game plays is you have your main character Dave. Um, let me make sure I get all the all the names right. Um, so there's Dave. Uh, let's see. God, there's so much written on this page about this game. Um, but basically, there's your protagonist Dave, who his girlfriend is kidnapped by Doctor Fred, who is a mad scientist. Um, and this house, like 20 years before whatever was, uh, hit by a meteor and, or a meteor hit nearby, which the, uh, the tentacles came from, uh, these disembodied tentacles there, uh, there are two of them that live with the family. Um, and then there's the mad scientist, Dr. Fred, who kidnaps Dave's girlfriend uh, and is going to hook her up to a machine that's going to basically suck her brain out. Uh, his wife, um, Nurse Edna, and her son, uh, and their son, Weird Ed, um, who's kind of like a uh, Hitler-esque type of character, which is weird. Um, it, it's it's so odd because you get to play as Fred, uh, I mean, as uh, Dave, but you get to pick two other people to go on the adventure with you. So you switch in between characters and sometimes there's a lot of puzzles in the game that require, you know, two characters to be able to do certain things. So you get to switch in between characters. Each character kind of goes off into the house and does their own thing, you know, picks up items. Um, some characters can solve certain puzzles. Like some characters are good at uh, electronics so they can, you know, fix electronic devices. Other ones are, you know, musically inclined so that they'll be able to do um, music-based puzzles and stuff like that. So you have your choice of like five other characters to take, five or six other characters to take with you, but you can only take two with you. So each time you play the game is different based on the characters that you pick. So any yeah. questions thus far, I've been rambling for like 10 minutes. <laughs> you actually just answered my question. I was ask I was going to ask about the different characters, but another thing that I was curious about 
you say this game has multiple endings. Mm-hmm. How long does it take like to from start to finish like hour wise? Mm-hmm. How long do you think it would take to complete from beginning to end? I'd say if you know what you're doing, which it it's been a long time since I really played this game, so I you know, I played it a lot as a kid, so it, I could probably beat it when I was a kid in like maybe an hour or two knowing okay. what you're doing. But like going back to it, I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so I restarted the game a few times because I kept getting um, uh, captured and put into the dungeon. And then you mm-hmm. have to have your other character get captured as well so you can go into the dungeon because there is a loose brick that one character has to push while the other character runs through. Like you have to switch characters real quick after pushing the the you know, the, the brick. And then the other person has to go out through the door real quick. So that's the only way to get out of the dungeon. If you get captured is to have another character in there. So it's kind of weird. Like for the first couple of games, I forgot that that was how you got out of the dungeon. And I was just like, Oh, well, all my people are captured. I guess I better start over again until I went back and, and read up on the game. And I was like, Oh, I forgot about the brick because it's been what? Like, See, 20, no, nah, not 20 years. I'd say probably, no, nah, it's been a good probably 27, 26 years since I played this game last. So I'm a lot of it I don't remember. But I would say if you got this game and you got a, a walkthrough just to kind of know what you're doing, I think you could probably do it in about an hour, maybe. Yeah. Well, and if you have multiple endings, you'll want to go through and watch all of them. So it, it does have a few few good hours of replayability. Yeah, and this game, just if you're a fan of, like, when I was a kid, this and, and another thing that this game reminds me of, this reminds me of a time when I would stay up so late on the weekends playing games like this and watching things like Monster Vision you know, and watching old, crazy, black and white, like, science fiction movies and horror movies, like, late into the night on a Friday and Saturday night. And this yeah. game is exactly, like, that feeling of those crazy mm-hmm. old, like, you know, science fiction movies from the 50s and 60s and stuff. So if you're into that type of thing, like, the whole, like, you know, Joe Bob Briggs monster vision type of aesthetic and just weird science fiction stuff, and with a sense of humor, like this is the perfect game for you to play because you just, you go through this mansion and, and like I said, you solve puzzles and you, uh, you know, just the different things you can do throughout the game to rescue, you know, Dave's girlfriend and everything to see the different endings of the game. It's just, it's so good and so well put together. The graphics are a little bland, I mean, I don't want to say bland. I'd say it's a little... It could have been better, but the gameplay is so good and the story's so cool that you kind of forget that the game's a little not as good-looking as it could have been for the games that came out at this time. Like, the the graphics were a little uh, rudimentary, I'd say. Yeah. A side note, I'm looking at the poster or the cover for the game. Yeah. And I could see this, if they were to make this into a movie, I could see this, like this poster being remade in the style of like a despicable me type animation. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah, that'd be that would be perfect actually. Like this would actually make a very great like Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Or or in the vein of a movie like um uh, what was the name of that uh, uh Paranorman like that yes. type yeah like this game screams Paranorman like that feeling of that game like that that movie right there you could tell I I could tell you the people that made that movie probably played the crap out of this game when they were younger. I could see that. Or even bring it back as like a as a show. I mean, we talked about how there was a, a TV series, you know, in the in 1990. But it, it to me, the thing about this game, and I, I did watch some gameplay of it, and I I read this Wikipedia page before we started. The thing that appeals to me the most is the story. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking of all these visuals in my head of what could be. I think it would be great. Yeah, because you'll and the cool thing about the game is like you kind of get these little cutscenes of, you know, you'll just be walking along, look at stuff in a room, and then you'll get a cutscene of, you know, Nurse Edna or you know Weird Ed saying, you know, like they'll be, be talking and like, oh, we need to do this or that, and like, oh, I'm gonna go down to the kitchen to get something to eat, and you're in the kitchen, so you're like, oh crap, I gotta like get out of here before he gets down here. You'll get captured and put into the dungeon, you know. So it's just, it's cool stuff like that. Like, this game could totally be, like, uh, you know, a 3D animated kind of, you know, Netflix series. Like, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. Uh, No, I totally agree. One thing I did want to talk about uh, for this game, I noticed, uh, because I didn't know that there was, um, there was censored, like, the, the Nintendo version was actually censored a lot from the actual Commodore 64 version. Uh, during Maniac Mansion's development for the 60, Commodore 64, Lucasfilm had censored profanity in the script. For instance, the early line of dialogue, don't be a shithead, became don't be a tuna head. Um, but there was a lot of stuff. Uh, see, Nintendo of America contacted Lucasfilm Games to request the removal of offensive text and nude graphics. Crockford censored this context, but attempted to leave the game's essence intact. For example, Nintendo wanted graffiti in one room, which provided an important hint to players, removed from the game. Unable to comply with, without simultaneously removing the hint, the team simply shortened it. Sexually suggestive and otherwise graphic dialogue was edited, including a remark from Dr. Fred about pretty brains being sucked out. The nudity described by Nintendo encompassed a swimsuit calendar, a classical sculpture, and a poster of a mummy in a playmate pose. After a brief fight to keep the sculpture, the team ultimately removed all three. The phrase NES scum in the credits sequence was censored as well. And that's another thing I noticed too, playing it on Steam. All those things that are missing are actually in the Steam version. And you look at it and you're like, why was this censored? This is so dumb. Yeah, that does sound like something that Nintendo would do though. Because, I mean, you're talking literally about, like, a statue, like a classical, stat- nude classical statue that was in the house, and you play the Nintendo version, and it's not there. I'm like, that's just, why would you remove that? That's, you know, that's not titillating. It's, it's a sculpture. <sighs> Nintendo. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. No, I, I think... I think that was a little extreme 
but it's also not that surprising. Uh, I do actually want to play Day of the Tentacle. There was it was released in 1993. It was a direct. Um, uh, it says here it came with a fully playable copy of Maniac Mansion, hidden as an Easter egg. I never knew that. Um, but I want to play Day of the Tentacle, which actually did a re-release of Day of the Tentacle not too long ago, which you can get on Steam, which has updated graphics, like hand-drawn, looks like you know 2D animated graphics, and I am so down to play that game and I want to play it and review it here on the show because I don't think I ever got to play Day of the Tentacle when I was a kid so I would love to go uh, go back and actually experience that on uh on Steam No that'd be great but um I mean I don't know if there's anything else I can say about Maniac Mansion I mean everybody kind of kn- that listens to this show kind of knows my love for point and click games. I mean, it's it's my probably one of my favorite gameplay types. Like I loved, you know, Maniac Mansion. I loved um 7th Guest, 11th Hour, all those kind of games like that back in the 90s. I still love them. I still love Shadowgate. I, there's something about Shadowgate that just I love that game. It's the same thing with Maniac Mansion. It's just they they capture something that, I don't know, I feel like you get immersed in the story a lot more whenever you're you're slowed down and you have to think about the things you're going to do. Not like Ninja Gaiden or Super Mario Bros. 3 where it's just kind of like, let's get to the end of the level. Like, this is more like you have to get into, like you're sucked into the story because of the pace of the game. And you feel like you're in this world and you start to get sucked in by the story and the characters and like, you know, the whole aesthetic of the game. And it was one of, you know, a a, a damn near perfect point and click game for the Nintendo. I didn't really dabble too much into the point and click genre. I, I would like to try it at some point. I will say if I were to do it, this would probably be the game that I would, that I would play just because from the gameplay that I watched um, earlier today, you know, the thing with games is that the story has to pull me in before the gameplay will. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think Maniac Mansion has a good story. So if I were to play a point and click game, this would be it. And I think you would really dig it. I think you need to give it a try. If, even if you just get an emulator, you know, get an uh, get a ROM for the emulator. I think you'll really enjoy it. Even if you if you have a Steam account, go pick it up right now on Steam for mm-hmm. two bucks. I mean, you can't beat that. Uh, it's it's yeah. the summer sale going on. I think it's like seventy five percent off. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I have to get this. Yeah, just to no, have definitely. It in my Steam library. I have to have it now. I have it on you know everywhere you can possibly play it, other than a Commodore sixty four. I have a Steam account. I've never really used it, but I mean, for two dollars, that's you can't beat that. See, that's the crazy thing about Steam. I have to avoid Steam, and around Christmas time and the middle of summer, because they do these crazy sales. Like right now, mm-hmm. they have the summer sale going on that, and it's nuts. They'll have like up to like ninety eight percent off on some stuff, like 90% off of these games. And I'm like, I want everything. <laughs> I'm just going through clicking. I'm getting 
emails every day that are like an item on your wish list is on sale and i'm like no go stop it <laughs> i don't need go you right away now. go away i have a switch i don't need you but then they'll see something like maniac mansion for two dollars and i'm like i gotta have it gotta do it can't Gots to it have up. it gots to but um as far as a, a number grade out of 10 this game's going to get probably, I'm going to say it's a 9. I mean, it's 8.5, I'll say. 8.5, it's between an 8 and a 9. It does have its flaws. It's a little slow, but for the Nintendo Entertainment System, sometimes you need that slowed-down gameplay experience. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. So, moving on to our listener email for this week, we do have one from... Mr. Brandon Rutledge, um, do I have a, a theme for our, uh, let's see, let me play a little, let's see, which one should I do? Do the universe, let's see. Is oh yeah, there we go. Um, from Brandon Rutledge on Facebook, he says, just finished the episode, and this was by far the most entertaining episode of Nerd Cave Retro to date. I cannot count how many times I had to cover my mouth from laughing and out loud and disturbing my co-workers. First off, Derek Diamond, if you buy that Sonic toaster, I am coming over for breakfast, LOL. Battletoads is one of, if not <coughs> the main game, that defined the term Nintendo hard. Thinking about this game, namely level 3, makes me a little salty. Word of advice to all of you, never play two-player mode on Battletoads. Not only will it end friendships, but someone will end up in jail for murdering their player too. I do not own this game, nor do I plan to buy it, but it is still a must for NES game collectors. Taking a page from Pro Jared, I would rate this game a crashed hover bike out of 10. So, another sort of uh, <clears throat> not so shining review of Battletoads. Um, we also had uh, someone on Twitter said they were disappointed with our episode last week because we didn't really do a review of Battletoads and Double Dragon, but it's hard to do a review when you can't even get past the first level. Yeah, it was more of a venting of frustration than an yeah. actual review. And I forgot to mention that about Battletoads uh, two weeks ago on the episode that I did. When you're playing Battletoads um, and you're doing that, uh, like the uh, if you're on the... Um, the the third level the the hover bike level and one of you crashes guess what you got to start over again mm -hmm. no yeah <laughs> uh god well on a lighter note i will probably get the sonic toaster yeah i imagine at, you at, will. <laughs> at, at, at some point so brandon just Message me before you head over to my place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some, have some Sonic Toast for me. Will do. So is there anything you wanted to uh, talk about before we go here tonight, Derek? Yeah, so uh, next week I will be reviewing Zelda Link's Awakening for the Game Boy. Uh, we talked about this with Nate when we had him on two weeks ago. Um, very underrated Zelda game. And it's been quite a while since I've done a Game Boy game or just a Zelda game in general. So uh, really excited to do that. I played through it uh, recently, I think a month or so ago. So I'm really excited to talk about that. 
Um, as always, check out the Derek Diamond Experience on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. New episodes come out every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, all podcasting platforms. Uh, and also be sure to follow uh, The Parker Syndrome on Facebook. That's my upcoming short film that will hopefully be shooting in October. And uh, I'll launch a website when uh, more details are concrete. Um, also, too, uh, Survey, the film that Derek and I uh, worked on, is getting accepted to a lot of festivals, especially mm -hmm. around the Florida area. So if you have a film festival going on near you, more than likely, Survey is at it. So <laughs> go check uh, your local film festival, you know, wh where and see if Survey's playing. And if it is, go check it out. That's a film that Derek and I worked on. Um, I don't have it pulled up or else I would tell everybody where it's going to be. But it's all over Florida. Basically, whatever film festival Florida has, Survey is at it. So go check it out. Absolutely. Um, as far as pop culture ballot goes, uh, and when this episode release releases on Monday, that means the previous Saturday, two days ago from when you're listening to this, pop culture ballot dropped uh, episode 182. Wally has a parentheses dice, or Wally has no parentheses dice sack, which we talk about his burgeoning love for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, very funny news story where I did a Dear Martha letter. And um, it was a great episode, so go check that out over at PCPRadio.com and at PCP Show on Twitter. Other than that, I got nothing left. What do you say, Derek? You want to go ahead and get out of here? Let's do it. All right, well, let me go ahead and play our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram and Twitter at NerdCaveRetro, individually at JFunktastic and at Derek underscore Diamond. We're at Facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro, and we are at NerdCaveRetro.com. Go over there. Go to our website. And we're going to be doing a Patreon soon so you can support us and we can keep the lights on here at the show. So, Derek, please tell everybody what it's all about. Sincerely, Beauregard. Sincerely, dear Martha. <laughs> Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.